You are listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a show covering the hometown Milwaukee Brewers as we analyze the roster, report on the latest rumors, and discuss their quest to bring the World Series trophy to Milwaukee for the first time. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Go. Hello, Brewer fans. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Peter Go. David, I'm more than excited to be here with a working microphone, working computer, uh, two days, several hours, for some reason. Uh, the, the baseball gods didn't want this podcast to go out, but we're going to make it happen anyways. And we're going to throw it off, uh, start it off by, David, sharing a meaningless stat that you have for us today. Tyrone Taylor has an 11.29 OPS when hitting in the seven hole this year, which is 102% better than when he hits in other spots in the order. Whereas Keston has a 645 OPS in the seven hole, 28% worse than his norm. Does that mean anything? Probably not. If Tyrone Taylor could always have an 1129 OPS, then I would absolutely hit him in the seven hole every single game. But I don't know if that means anything or not. Yeah, whoever said that uh, lineup construction didn't matter. I don't know. Put, him, put, put Taylor in the seven hole, uh, put a pitcher in the eight hole always loved seeing the pitcher in the eight hole and like that, uh, that like fast, poor hitting center fielder in the nine hole to, uh, mm-hmm. to spark the, to turn the lineup over, whether, mm-hmm. whether that did anything or not. Mm-hmm. It actually showed that if you did that on average, you would score one and a half runs more per season. When they did the data, they looked through the data and ran thousands of simulations on that back in like 2010 that's what they found. So I I know Tony LaRusso was an advocate of it, him following the data for once. Yeah, I was just going to say I remember LaRusso being a proponent of that when most weren't, and that is kind of funny. But nonetheless, let's move to our t- today's trivia question, which is a short one here. Who was the Brewers' first manager? So uh, 1970, obviously, Brewers' first year. We won't, uh, we won't include 1969 pilots who were managed by Joe Schultz. So David... You have uh, you've had plenty of time actually to mull that over um, since you had that trivia question as we've tried to record this many, many times. So that answer, as always, at the end of the podcast. So let's look back at the week. Brewers three-game series at home against the Mets. They lost two out of three, unfortunately, against the Mets, but they did rebound in Cincinnati, taking three of four, unfortunately losing that, uh, that fourth game. Matt Bush giving up a run, I believe, in the eighth inning it was. Um, seems like Matt Bush, of course, we won't even mention Taylor Rogers' lack of success since uh, his time in a Brewers uniform, but I had higher expectations for Matt Bush as well. I don't think he's necessarily lived up to it. Is that more so just, I guess, anecdotal that it it seems like he seems to be blowing several games or has his you know performance really not been all that great since he's been in Milwaukee? He has a 419 ERA with the Brewers so far across 19 innings, which is not terrible, but not great either. I think the difference between Bush and Rogers, Bush has been consistently mediocre. Rogers has good outing, good outing, good outing, blow up outing. So I think Rogers has only allowed runs in four out of his 21 outings, but he's averaged like 3.5 runs allowed in those games. So I think that's kind of where you find the difference between Bush and Rogers. But still, if you think about the fact that Bush has a 419 ERA, He's allowing a run pretty much every other outing. And as a reliever, as a late inning, high leverage reliever, 
that's going to come back to bite you. If one of your best relievers is allowing a run every other time out, especially when Bush comes out in a 1-1 game, allows a solo shot, Brewers aren't able to reclaim that lead in the ninth inning. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, ERA is certainly not the same across starting pitching and the bullpen. And in the second half, like you said, Bush overall has just been okay with the Brewers. Um, I mean, even even Strzelecki, Trevor Gott, Suter even actually in the second half, they've had better ERAs than Bush, um, which is kind of interesting. But Bush has continued to get those higher leverage innings, and hopefully he is able to gain a little bit more consistency. The Brewers certainly need him um, going forward. And Brewers currently sitting a game and a half behind the Phillies, three games back from the Padres. Again, a reminder, uh, many of you I'm sure are, are already aware, but the Brewers lose a tiebreaker to both the Phillies and Padres. There is no tiebreak this season. So unfortunately, the Brewers will have to fully leapfrog a full game on either the Phillies or Padres. So David, at this point, what are your thoughts on the Brewers? Are are they making the playoffs this year? What are your what are your thoughts? The Braves saved the the Brewers season almost Sunday, I felt like. The Phillies were up six five in the eighth inning. The Braves came back, tied it up in the ninth, and then were able to walk the, the Phillies off in the a 10th or 11th inning, I felt like that was huge because the Brewers, instead of being two and a half games back, instead were one and a half games back after the week's slate. One and a half, you're able to to overtake the Phillies. Even if the Phillies play okay, the Brewers play well, they're going to take control of that third wild card spot. Two and a half though, and you have to overtake them. That's a lot more difficult. I think there's still a reasonable possibility that it happens. I think getting the the second wild card is almost out of play now with the Padres being up three games on the Brewers, though. Yeah, and Fangraphs looking at the probabilities that they have of the wild card in the National League. Padres sitting at 93%, Phillies at 86%, and the Brewers at 21%. My initial thoughts were that I thought it was a little bit low that the Brewers were only at a 1-5 in five chance, essentially, to win the wild card or win a wild card spot. Given that, again, we've talked about this, I've kind of harped on it over and over, but Brewers only have home games remaining. So 10 games remaining all at home. For the most part, they're playing weaker competition besides the Cardinals. And then, of course, the Phillies have a much tougher schedule as well. So given that that that's the case, I know the tiebreak does matter. I would imagine that that swings it pretty significantly. But do you feel like 21% is a little bit low for the Brewers? I think it's a little bit low. If I were to make my unscientific predictions, I would give them probably about a 33%. But that's also after running all these simulations that they do with, I think Fangraphs runs 10,000 simulations on the rest of the season every day with their, with their predictions or their projections. So of course those computer systems are, are more educated and have more factors than I would include. Although one factor that it does not include is the inevitable late game or excuse me, late season Phillies collapse that we seem to get every year really since the the late 2000s when when the Phillies were the team of the National League. Since then, they've had a lot of underperforming and times where they could have made the postseason but just weren't able to seal the deal late in the season. It seems like they might be headed towards another one of those. The Brewers have notably stepped up their play in past September, so 2022 could be another one of those when the Brewers step up the, the, the play that they have and We've seen we've seen it a little bit over the past few weeks, but maybe not quite to the levels of 2019 or 2018. Yeah, Brewers have, aren't necessarily playing out of their mind well like they did. You know, when I think back to the to the year uh, 2018, of course, when the Brewers came back 
huge on that uh, on the Cubs team, and of course sealing it in Game One Sixty Three. Haven't played that well, but they are playing definitely a lot better than they were a month ago, and the Phillies certainly aren't. So we'll see if you know we'll continue to see how that how that goes. But David, what is today's random player of the day? Today's random player of the day is former lefty sidearm reliever Mitch Stetter. Stetter pitched in parts of five seasons with the Brewers, had a 4.08 ERA across 80 innings. 2008 and 2009 were his best two years with the club. Across those two years, he had a 3.45 ERA in 70 of the 80 innings that he threw. He averaged just 85 miles an hour on his fastball coming from that sidearm slot. I was actually going back and watching Mitch Stetter video because that's kind of how I fill my free time, Uh, which by the way, I picked this random game in 2009. Then I realized after I was watching it that we were at that game. It was Ryan Braun bobblehead, the one where he has his fists in the air celebrating his, his 2008 home run against the Cubs. Classic. uh Uh-huh. One of the, one of the better bobbleheads in, in franchise history. I think maybe we should have an anniversary celebration for the bobblehead next year with the 15th year. But Stetter was particularly good against lefties. Lefties hit just 194 off of him in his career, which is one of the better marks among a reliever, especially one that throws just 85 miles an hour. And he combined with Brian Schaus for probably the best sidearm lefty bullpen duo in the league in 2008 and 2009. Stetter was out of the league by 2011, pitching 16 games for the Brewers and bounced around the minors a little bit after that and is now retired. Well, how many teams can you think of that have ever had two sidearm lefty relievers in a bullpen at the same time? None that come to mind personally. I'm sure it's happened at some point, but the fact that the Brewers had two of them, it, it was always entertaining. I both Shouse and Stetter, I enjoyed watching, but um, I Stetter, I remember a little bit more given the era that he played in. Um, Shouse was a little bit, a little bit earlier than Stetter, but it was a lot of fun to see those, those lefty guys in, they really were quite dominant against lefties. Um, they were they were a good asset to have in the pen. Yeah, in 2008, Schaus had a 2.81 ERA in 69 appearances. Stetter 3.20 ERA in 30 appearances. So you really have a you have a tough lefty coming up. You've got two options, so you can really go to either of them. And I think that allowing that specialty, of course, the three batter minimum rule that is now in place, not an advocate of, but Schaus and Stetter benefited from the the lack of that rule, but also with starting pitchers going longer into games, you were able to have some of those more specialized bullpen roles. So you're able to carry seven relievers, and maybe five of them carry or five of them can can carry a heavier workload. Carlos Villanueva threw 108 innings that year, and only nine starts, but 38 appearances out of the bullpen. Solomon Torres threw 80 innings. Seth McClung threw 105 as a swingman. So when you have some of those arms that can carry multi-inning roles, you allow the, the you allow yourself to have some of those specialty relievers like Shouse or like Stetter. Yeah, that's a good point. That is, game has certainly changed a little bit in the last you know 10, 15 years. So, all right, David, I got a question for you. It's going to be a tough one here. Going into the year, would you say that the Brewers had a better pitching staff or a better offense? That one's close. I would say probably the pitching staff. Um, look at the uh, comments on Brewers Twitter, and you can probably gather that they complained about not adding offense 
before the yes. year at the deadline, really at any time that they can complain about offense, they will. Yeah, absolutely. And and what if I told you that the Brewers offense has been better than the Brewers pitching staff overall at this point in the year? Well, given that I was the one who gave you the stat, not too surprised. But when I found that stat, I was very surprised. The Brewers have a 106 OPS plus this year, meaning that their offense based on OPS has been 6% better than league average. The ERA only 2% better than league average at a 102 ERA plus. So the pitching staff, which was thought to be the strength of the staff or of the roster is not a weakness, but not the strength that it was anticipated. Yeah. And I'd be curious to see the breakdown too on, on where the Brewers starting pitching ERA plus matches up against the rest of the league and their bullpen. Cause certainly bullpen has been the worst it's been in a while. Again, given that the Brewers have had outstanding bullpens for a long, a long number of years now, but I'd be interested to see how that breaks down starting pitching versus bullpen. The Brewers bullpen was expected to be good. Um, but of course their starting rotation was supposed to be elite. Uh, probably I think most people had them top three, at least top five uh, going into the season and has been far from that. Um, of course, a smattering of injuries and some underperformance um, have impacted that, but it is, I was shocked to see that stat that you shared um, as well, that the Brewers offense has been, has been better. And at this point, you know, 10 games left in the season, do you think the pitching is good enough to carry them over this last run? Or do you think the offense is likely going to be the, the side of the baseball that is going to carry them? I actually just looked at, looked up the Brewers rotation ERA this year, a 3.88 ERA, which is okay, but it ranks just 15th in, in major league baseball. So right in the middle of the pack, and that's a, a team that was, I think, second in ERA among starters last year. Part of that is a little bit of regression from, from Burns, from injuries from Freddie Lauer, Ashby, Hauser, Hauser pitching worse, Lauer pitching worse. So, I mean, you get you get a number of factors thrown into that, but it is interesting that the rotation is not what it was expected to be. I think I think both need to do their part. I get that's kind of a cop-out answer that, that both do, but we see what happens when one does their job and the other doesn't with the Brewers. They lose 2-1 to one on Sunday, and the offense just isn't there. And that came after scoring 10 runs on Saturday, but we've seen the bullpen have, have their issues. The bullpen is not the bullpen of the past. Last year's bullpen wasn't that great, but 2019 and 18, especially that was the strength of the team. So when the offense didn't score runs, if they scratched off a couple early in the game, the bullpen was going to be able to hold the lead. No lead is totally safe with the Brewers bullpen right now. So I think it's going to have to be the offense that picks it up a little bit, even though the offense has been performing better than the than the pitching staff. I think it's important to see 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 some of the starters work a little bit deeper into games, especially Burns and Woodruff, who have had Woodruff's been excellent, but Burns has had some shaky starts. But the offense is going to need to continue this this production into the end of the season if they want a chance at at the playoffs. Yeah, I'm going to single out the pitching on this one a little bit because I feel like outside of, you know, game four of the Red Series, certainly Brewers, you got to score more than one run against the Reds in any given game. But for the most part, the offense has been there. Adam Mace has been, I, I think I saw, I'm, I'm going to butcher this uh, completely, but 
since I know since I think it was um, either beginning or end of August. I, I think it was end of August. Um, he's been basically a top three to five offensive player in baseball. Um, he's absolutely tore the cover off the ball and continued to do so. Um, even on some of his outs as well against the Reds. Uh, I know he had a, a chance with runners in scoring position. Um, blanking if that was game two or game three. And I first pitch just roped the ball to left, just right at the left fielder. Uh, easily could have been an RBI double um, had he just hit it into the gap. But um, I, I feel like Adames is certainly um, carrying the offense like the Brewers hoped he would. And overall, the offense has been pretty solid lately. I think the bullpen is is where I would, would say the biggest improvement can be made. Taylor Rogers, obviously, uh, we talked about Matt Bush even as well. But to me, the offense is more or less doing their part right now. They're they're scoring runs. They're giving the Brewers a chance to win every single game. And for the most part, the starting pitching has been pretty solid. I would also single out Corbin Burns. Not that he's been terrible, um, but of course, the reigning Cy Young winner since the All-Star game, Burns has an ERA of just 4.54. So I think Burns also needs to step it up. If you're going to be an ace of a team, an ace of a playoff team, this is your time to step up and pitch. And so these last couple starts for him to me need to be impactful. He needs to carry Woodruff has certainly been doing it. So I'd like to see Burns step up as well as the bullpen. To me, that's, those are, I guess, easier fixes. Uh, to me, the offense is already performing quite well. Um, it certainly could always be better, but I guess I'll, I'll signal out Burns on the rotation as well as the bullpen. And actually kind of leading into the Brewers bullpen, we've already talked about Matt Bush. We've already talked about Taylor Rogers at this point. Devin Williams has obviously been very, very solid in the bullpen. Besides Williams, who do you feel like the Brewers can trust in the bullpen? Because um, it certainly seems like a bit of a a bit of a gamble each time we have a one-run lead, two-run lead, and we've got to turn it over to the pen in the seventh. It does seem that way for sure. It's difficult because we're seeing Peter Strzelecki have some high-leverage innings that we did not expect to, to see at the beginning of the year, but we also didn't even expect to see that a month ago or especially at the trade deadline when the Brewers picked up a number of bullpen arms. It's tough even to, to trust Boxberger right now. Boxberger has been struggling as of late. Think back to that the game against the Mets. Uh, I think it was Tuesday. 4 nothing lead. The Brewers were staked to. Boxberger comes in, allows three runs, including a couple of inherited runners. 4-3 game. Rogers comes in in the eighth, walks the bases loaded, and allows a grand slam. The worst outcome that you could have as a reliever. So it's difficult to trust Boxberger and especially Rogers right now. I think Strzelecki has has shown that he can be that good bridge guy, come in in the sixth or the seventh with runners on and keep the Brewers in the game. Trevor Gott has has fulfilled a similar role, and I have no clue if this is true statistically. It feels like Gott is bad when inheriting runners. That just seems to be my my um, perception of. Trevor Gott's performance. We'll have to check up on that, see if it's true. But I don't mind seeing Suter or Gott pitch in medium leverage outings. But with inherited runners, I would actually prefer to go to still probably a Matt Bush. Can we trust Matt Bush? Maybe. I'm not sure, but you kind of have to at this point. Taylor Rogers was expected to be a very good setup man, potentially even getting some save opportunities. And he just has not been there as far as the performance that we were expecting out of Rodgers. So I think Bush has been okay enough that you kind of have to trust him at the back end of games. And you have to rely on Gott and Suter in sixth, seventh inning. Maybe you have a three-run lead. Maybe the Brewers are down by one. 
you have to go to some of those mid-tier arms in order to keep yourself in the game. Yeah, and the question I think is, would you rather have, you know, Strzelecki, for example, who's been quite solid, obviously well above expectations, that's for sure. Um, would you rather have a guy like him, who maybe has pitched better lately, but doesn't have the track record, doesn't have the experience that Matt Bush has, or do you go to Matt Bush? And I can see the case for either. Um, I think both will often get opportunities, especially if it's not a Brandon Woodruff or Corbin Burns start. Um, because like you said, a lot of times we're, we're looking at several innings of relief and we have, you know, it's just, can we get the ball to the ninth? Um, we certainly have a lot of faith in Devin Williams, but outside of that, it's, you kind of hold your breath until you get there. So something that we're certainly not accustomed to as Brewer fans, we've been very much spoiled on the Brewers bullpen. Um, for our last topic here today, David, it was something that you brought up um, to me that I was not aware of, but fan attendance for American Family Field this year are down uh, pretty sig- substantially. Um, they're down 6,000 per game since 2019. Uh, back in 2019, they were ranked 5th of 15 in the National League, and they now rank 10th of 15, so a significant decline over the last couple of years, uh, mainly looking at 2019, pre-COVID years um, to now. So what are your thoughts, David, on, on why you think fans are not coming to American Family Field? Brewers certainly still in a playoff hunt. They've been competitive for years now. So any thoughts that you have on on why we're seeing a decrease in attendance? I think one of the factors could be that fans are used to the competitiveness of the Brewers. In the past, it was it was expected that fans were going to show up in, in greater crowds when the Brewers were good. So I think that was expected because fans were so used to seeing losing teams that when they were losing, it's like, okay, well, you expect to not have that many fans. So then you do draw when they are good. Think of 2008, 2011. They were selling out, I think it feels like about half the time down the stretch in September. This year, they sell out maybe once every five, six games. But I think part of it can be attributed also to the hater trade. I know that turned off a lot of fans to the the Brewers. And it. I think it it eliminated the feeling that this is our year. It was like, well, we, we got worse. So we're probably not, this is probably not our year. We're not all in for this year. So why should I be more invested this year than I will be next year? than I will be the year after that. If we're just trying to get as many bites at the apple, as Stearns would say, then I'll show up when the postseason comes. So I think that could be a factor as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I wouldn't say that that trade could uh, could be attributed to the entire decrease because obviously that trade happened uh, mid to late mid to late this year. So obviously this was a trend that they saw throughout the year. But I think it's a good point you bring up that the Brewers have been competitive for a long time. We've been spoiled at this point across really all Wisconsin sports teams at this point. All all major sports in Wisconsin have been competitive for years now. So I I would agree. I think that there is some of that that we're just used to it. Obviously. You think back to the 2008 wildcard run, and, that, and actually the, the reverse happened, obviously. The Brewers acquire CC Sabathia at the trade deadline. That's certainly going to draw more fans, A, to see CC play. Uh, I remember it myself, trying to figure out if we were going to go to a game when he was pitching and being able to see him. But also, like you said, the atmosphere and the mood between Brewers fans and, and the team. And you can't beat anything like the run the Brewers had without making the playoffs either. So I think it's interesting that you bring those up. I think those are good points. It is pretty significant. We'll see what how that's impacted next year, especially as we see the Brewers, hopefully um, a couple of outfield prospects potentially making debuts. Of course, we already saw Garrett Mitchell, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we potentially see Freelich or Weimer 
um, as well next year. And of course, Jackson Churio, um, Brewers top prospect, probably not likely to see him next year, but as young talent continues to knock on the door, that may also help the Brewers to bolster their attendance um, as they hopefully continue to be competitive. Cause I think it is likely they continue to be competitive and they get those bites of the apple that they're hoping for. I think part of it too, is that 10, 15 years ago, there was an expectation that if the Brewers were good, they were going to, which I mean, that wasn't very often. Um, but if they were good, they were going to buy at the trade deadline. They were going to acquire the pieces to try to get to the postseason to be as competitive as possible. They had a they had an okay team in 2010, and they went out and got Zach Grinke. They got Sean Markham. They tried to improve. Even at the deadline, they still added around the margins. Jerry Hairston Jr. when they needed a third baseman. So there were – and K-Rod even, I think, was 2011 also. So there was a, an expectation that they were going to go out and get the pieces that they needed to to be more competitive. I don't know that there's that same sense now with – like the Brewers are run more efficiently, but just because they're run more efficiently doesn't mean that it's as enjoyable from a fan perspective because it's one, it's not as entertaining when you, it's, I guess it's more discouraging when you see the same problems, the same flaws, and they're overlooked by the front office to some degree. And I think that might impact the, the fans that are a little bit more of, of diehards and, and also attendance is down league wide. This year from from the lockout and potentially from lingering effects of COVID, but even over the past few years, even if you go back to 2018, 2019, attendance was down compared to what it was seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years before, really due to the amount of options there are. You think about even baseball, a couple independent league teams now in the Milwaukee area. Think about the access that people have to entertainment that people didn't have 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and that contributes to why attendance is down league-wide. Right, and I would wonder, too, like I mentioned earlier, Badgers, Packers, Bucks, Brewers, all have been very, very competitive for a while now, um, some longer than others, but really for 10 to ten to 15 years, obviously some longer with the Packers. Um, but for the last you know five to 10 years at least, uh, most of these franchises have been very competitive as well, and there's only so many dollars that can go around. There's only so many Wisconsin sports fans, too, so if the Bucks were still, you know, well, obviously if the Bucks had moved, but or if the Bucks were in, you know, the Brandon Jennings era where they were winning 35 games a season, did the Brewers actually benefit? Again, I know that they're not over, completely overlapping, but I, I would think that that has some impact, whether it's minuscule or um, makes an impact or not. I don't know, but um, certainly I'm not hoping for the uh, the Brandon Jennings Bucks era <laughs> at, at any point. Um, again, we can we can pass on that. So. Let's go back to our trivia question, David. You've had plenty of time now to think about this one. Of course, Joe Schultz, the first manager of the Pilots in 1969, but can you name the Brewers' first manager in 1970? That's going to kill me because I like I know that I know it, but I can't think of who it is because I remember it was Joe Schultz and Crandall took over, I think, in 71 or 72. And then, then it was Alex Grammis and then George Bamberger but I can't think of who was in between them in yes. 1970. Yeah. You're missing, you're missing two names between Joe Schultz and Del okay. Crandall, one of which only managed two games um, in 72. So Dave Bristol was the Brewers oh. first manager in 1970. 
Uh, had a 408 winning percentage, 144 wins, 209 losses, and one tie in his tenure from 70 to 72. And then Roy McMillan, two games managed. He went one and one in 72. And then, like you said, Del Crandall, um, who managed over 500 games, uh, actually picked back over 600 games for the Brewers between 1972 and 75. And then, like you said, Grammis Bamberger moves to Buck Rogers, Harvey Keen um, as well, then taking over and, and, uh, it kind of goes downhill from there, but, uh, a Brewers first manager in 1970, Dave Bristol, our answer to today's trivia question. I haven't gotten you in a while. Uh, I was surprised I got you on, on that one. Uh, that'll probably haunt you for the rest of the week. I would imagine. At least I, I think if the Brewers <laughs> make it to the postseason, I might, that, that might be allow me to get over it. But I, I wanted to say they hired somebody from the Reds and I was right. He was the Reds manager before the Brewers hired him, but I was, I guess I wasn't confident enough in that to be able to to say that because I think Alex Grammis was from the Reds also and believe it or not Dave Bristol is still alive actually he's 89 <laughs> so he was only 37 when the Brewers hired him back in 1970 that was and that was quite uh you know it's more common nowadays across all sports to see young managers of course Craig Council even I think of the NFL LaFleur and others uh but that was probably quite surprising given uh, given the, the era that, that he was managing. And so there's our answer to today's trivia question, Joe Bristol. And and uh, for all you Brewers fans out there, feel free to check out our YouTube channel. Uh, David's been putting up um, some great content, doing a weekly recap with pitches of the week, at-bats of the week, hits of the week, all those things. Um, it's a good five-minute recap to keep you updated on things going on with the Brewers. He'll also have a long-form video coming up. Um, should be a good one. I've got a sneak peek of it. I'm excited to get that out there as well. I'll give you a hint. It, it includes Alex Grammis, Mike Caldwell, and Eric Lauer. So that there's your hint on on the uh, YouTube video. The weekly recap will be out, I believe, today, and then that long form video featuring all those illustrious Brewer names coming out tomorrow. So, David, any other final thoughts that you have before we go today? I wanted to uh, shout out Brian Schaus, who we we already shouted him out. Today is his birthday. And believe it or not, Brian Schaus turns 54 today. He was he was already 40 when he finished his Brewers career. So I didn't realize how old he was. But it also is former Brewers legend Colin Walsh's birthday, who is 33, I think, something like that. Um, and, and I think he's retired now. But I was going back, and he has, as, as a pinch hitter, he walked more times than he actually hit the ball, putting it in play. So... I believe that would officially designate his primary position as pinch walker since he had more games that he appeared in as a pinch hitter than he did even on the field. And I would, he perhaps could go into the record books as the only pinch walker in major league history. I would love to see, I would love to see a, a baseball card of the uh, Colin Walsh pinch walker uh, position. I think back to the, uh, the great pinch hitter baseball cards of the 90s but i would love to see a, a pinch walker it was that was that his career pinch hitting yeah he so he only played in 2016 with the brewers but he he had 29 plate appearances as a pinch hitter he had one hit but he had i think it was 11 walks and he had nine nine strikeouts nine or ten strikeouts so he he put the ball in play um, like, what would that be? Eight times, and he walked eleven. So, 
I I mean I I went back and watched the videos of him walking and it was it was pretty impressive to see him walk that many times. Did he just foul off pitches like crazy or pitchers I mean, because they're not pitching around him obviously. Right. I don't I don't know exactly. I so I only watched the I went and watched the the last pitch of all his walks. I didn't watch the entire at bats. But I don't I don't know cuz a lot of them were like veteran guys that like missed just off the plate with sinkers. I think it I think what it was was maybe that he was really the only one that would take those really close pitches on two strikes. So by taking those pitches he perhaps got an advantage that cuz other other hitters were were uh were swinging on them. We'll also think about if he was a guy with, you know, less than 30 or 50 plate appearances in his major league career, the scouting report on him, probably not super strong. And you're probably not going to face the Brewers. I mean, there weren't a lot of big bats to worry about, but you probably weren't going to face the Brewers and doing a lot of homework on how to pitch against Colin Walsh. So that also could be it too, where there just, there wasn't a lot of, there, there wasn't a lot of scouting on him. And for the most part, they weren't necessarily aware of, of how, uh, how good his plate discipline was, I guess. Um, but it is a little bit surprising. You would think that after a couple of walks that you guys would see that and, uh, make him actually get a hit, which one career hit in uh, in his pinch hitting role. If Colin Walsh doesn't listen to this podcast, I, I, I don't know why he doesn't. I, I highly doubt there's any podcasts out in the world that he's mentioned more often than the great Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. So Colin Walsh, if you're listening to this, certainly uh, hit us up on Twitter or YouTube. We'd love to, to have you on the show. Um, and with that, Brewers again, 10 games remaining. A lot of fun to see this um, deadline um, as the Brewers reach the end of the season and see if the Brewers can push for a wild card spot. We'll have you covered as always. This is Peter and David signing off. Go Brewers. Thank you for listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review our show on whichever platform you're listening on. If you enjoyed it, consider supporting us through the link down below. See you next time.